Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter, banter. Uh, hey, this is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry, who officially has 300 episodes of this podcast uh, under his belt, or he's been associated with 300. Wait, wait. Yeah, way to go. Thank you, sir. Keep it alive uh, for the ride, too. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I, I pop in here and there. Yep. Uh, hey, and hey, look who else it is. It who? is Liz Malone. Hi. Welcome yeah. back. Yeah, welcome, I know. Welcome back. You've taught speaking of popping in and out. <laughs> I, I'm, I am back officially to bring the IQ average back down. So <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, I don't know if we need any help in that sense. Uh, <laughs> you, well, you for today, clear, I, for sure. <laughs> you uh, clearly did not listen to the episodes that we did without you here, because otherwise you... <laughs> they were brilliant. Uh, all right. Well, uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Are if you guests, do say so yourself. Yeah, our right. guests uh, help bring bring the uh, bring the IQ average up for sure on that. If it was yes. just me and Ryan, we'd have been we'd have been hurting. Um, so Liz, yeah, uh, I feel like we left a lot of the audience and myself included on a little bit of a cliffhanger uh, last time you were on because, of course, we talked about <laughs> your discovery that you were had a, a dairy allergy now. So I still do. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, dang. I was, I was hoping that season three would open with you uh, miraculously re recovered. Okay. Well, then my next question then is how is that going? Uh, are you uh, are changing the diet? How's the, what's going on? Oh, yeah. No, there's been a lot of smoothies, a lot of almond milk, oh, which is, which is awful, by the way. That's oh, not my, bad. It's, oh, God. It like my coffee rejects it. Get the chocolate yeah. almond milk. It's all right. <laughs> they have chocolate yes, almonds. What is that going to be made out of? Chocolates and almonds. But, but chocolate's made from dairy. How she can't have chocolate? Can uh, you? Maybe. I'm so it's confused. Milk. I'm not sure there, how that works. There is some chocolate that I that I found that does not have any milk products. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that can't. That probably that's probably not good for you either. Because <laughs> does that mean it's natural or is it just like manufactured, <laughs> processed chocolate flavor? thing well he, here's what i will say is that eating healthy and eating preservative free without whey and all that other dairy stuff is very expensive hmm. no. <laughs> my new my new food life is seriously hitting my bank account and wow. not and i'm yeah so it's that that i, I mean that's why people, that's why we're, we're all fat and Absolutely. unhealthy because eating healthy is, yeah, it's not, it's very cost prohibitive, prohibitive. And I hate to, you know, you know me, I don't like to plug any business, but let's just say I've been spending a good amount of time at Whole Foods Yeah, because it's easy to get more of those types of products. Yeah. And See, let's just, a... Jeff Bezos makes you pay for it. I don't yeah. care what, what people say. Oh yeah. Prices came down. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Whole Foods is freaking expensive right yeah uh it's too bad that uh yeah you can just live on celery and like peanut butter or something well 
<clears throat> because I'm such a glutton for punishment, I'm actually going pretty much full on paleo because I figure if I have to go this far, why not go all the way and, and be really healthy and broke? <laughs> is that the dinosaur diet? Or is that a plant-based diet? It is sort of like the hunter-gatherer diet. Oh, okay. So it's all kinds of meats, no sausage though, like I'm real a... meats, <laughs> all kinds of vegetables, all kinds of fruits, no legumes, no um, uh, grains, but I can have nuts hmm. and no dairy. Hmm. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like the, well, the Fred Flintstone diet or something. So mm. how do you feel though? Are you feeling better? I actually feel really good. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, see, there your, you go. Your, your body starts to learn to use food very efficiently. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. See, you just, you just got to figure out the, the intaking part and the body will take care of the rest. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a, like, <laughs> we talk about this so much, the morning process. Yeah. I had a, I had a, the other day we drove past the McDonald's, not that I, McDonald's was never a big bite. I, I looked up and I said, I'm never going to have a sausage McMuffin with egg again. That's sad. Mm. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, like, oh, that's kind of sad. I'd have to go and mourn now. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that, that would be <laughs> like a staple. <laughs> uh, and there's got to be so many foods that, that, uh, yeah. well, there you go. Maybe we'll, we'll dedicate a whole episode to like, just, you know, your, your past diet's Your funeral. We'll just, yeah, we, 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 we need to get a dietitian on this show at some point, because I think that could, that would really be an interesting episode. Yeah. So we'll have like a little ceremony like they do, like, you know, like with like disasters where they, they read the names of all the, all the, <laughs> all the foods that, you can eat. So we'll just like cheese whiz, processed cheese, <laughs> craft dinner. <laughs> The milkshake. <laughs> Hungry man diet. Cheeseburgers. <laughs> Big Macs. The Whopper poutine. That's right. Whopper, Whopper poutine. We say your name. <laughs> so sad. Oh, I'm going to cry. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, well, that's good. Oh, I'm glad you're feeling better then. And because uh, that's what counts. And uh, whatever. Like I said, you're going to outlive me and Ryan by probably many years. It's probably that number is probably going up uh, with every day that you change and me and Ryan don't. So there the, mar the margin, the margin is widening with yeah. each passing day. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you'll be here to carry on the podcast. All right. <laughs> Speaking of the podcast. Yes. Uh, hey, Ryan. Yeah, Rob. Hey, uh, let's, uh, let's get into what we're doing today. Well, today joining us, we have the Director of Innovation from Neil Squire Society, Chad Lehman, joining us. Welcome, Chad. Thank you. Thanks for uh, having me. Thanks for sticking Whoa. around while we ranted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not too much like refined sugar in uh, your <laughs> dietary AT banter uh, smoothie here. So. <laughs> well, she's outnumbered, so bring on the sugar. Right. She can revel in it figuratively if, if i may and i'm not sure the release schedule for when this will come but right now it's incredibly hot so like it's like it's hot yeah you mm -hmm. can't have ice cream like what's what's something like delicious and cold when it's hot and stinky out yeah it's good it's a good question uh sorbet that's true what is so mm -hmm. wait what is sorbet made of i don't even know basically ice water i think is it 
Wow. Non-dairy. Yeah. And comes in many delicious. Oh, light, yes. refreshing. Yeah. 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 Sorbet is good. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just assumed that that had some sort of dairy in it, but yeah, you're, oh, you're laughing. Look at that. I've had to, let me tell you, I've had to do a lot of research in you these know, last but... few weeks to get, to get this, well, you know, to figure this, this nightmare out, but yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm finding little solutions, little, yeah, little bright spots. Yeah. We got Max. this. All right. All right. Good. I love a happy ending. <laughs> all right you next question your honor yeah, yeah right. <laughs> you were just reading the passenger list from the titanic so i don't know what you know happy endings. <laughs> right all right all right all right let's get let's get down to business um let's talk about well okay so ryan you want to set up why we why we kind of asked chad to 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 come on and and talk i um, i mean assuming that we're going to talk a little bit about the the neil squire society uh but also we kind of had something special that we wanted to talk about so you want to set that up sure so you know we've known about neil squire society for years and years if not decades and have had them on the show previously but with a lot of changes in technology and the evolution or adaption of printing going to 3d printing we thought it'd be an interesting topic to talk about how 3d printers have either evolved assistive technology or have adapted assistive technology or made it easier to make assistive technology devices and so we thought let's reach out to neil square again because we see them talking about it on twitter all the time and so chad has graciously agreed to join us Thanks for having me, you know, long time listener, first time caller. But, uh, <laughs> nice to uh, be here. I, I feel like the, the pressure set now. Liz saw some people survey and eat better. So now I got to <laughs> bring the goods from my side and make sure I'm at least right. on my end of the teeter totter here. Well, that's right. Well, let's, okay. Well, let's throw you a softball to start then. So why don't you just tell us uh, just for, for the, for some of the people out there in the audience that may not be familiar with Neil Squire and uh, the Neil Squire society and the work that you guys do there. Can you kind of just give us a, a little bit of an overview of, of uh, what the organization does and maybe what your role in it is? Sure. So Neil Squire society is a nonprofit registered Canadian charity mission statement is to use technology, knowledge, and passion to help empower Canadians with disabilities. Um, so we have a wide suite of sort of programs and they typically fall, uh, we did a rebranding thing a couple of years ago with some logo and stuff. And it looks, you know, depending on what you ask person, but a bit like a gear. And so sort of five parts of the gear. So five parts of the organization. So one is employment. We run a very large national employment program for Canadians with disabilities. They're, they're looking to get back to work, move up in their career or, have access to uh, further education. Uh, so that's been a real core of the organization ever since I've been involved um, and actually well predating me. Uh, so it really helps establish sort of the national organization to run that program. Uh, second sort of bucket area for our program is digital literacy. Uh, and these are usually free uh, or low cost sort of programs. Um, again, mostly free unless sort of like a ICBC or WordBC sort of person. Um, that provide people with digital literacy skills that they're interested in learning. So it's less curriculum driven and more goal oriented. So for someone, maybe that's learning the office suite, uh, for someone that may be learning to use JAWS or the system technology. And, you know, for some people might be like, you know, my kid's got a Pinterest account. What the heck is this? And, you know, some phone digital literacy stuff. So really focus on the end user. Third, third sort of area is assistive technology. So 
Um, we have a very large assistive technology lab at our head office in Burnaby. We have occupational therapists that work in different parts of Canada. Uh, in BC, uh, we help administer the Work BC Assistive Technology Services Program, which means you know, someone with disability needs an accommodation for work or in their work-related activities, like into and from work. Uh, we can help do that referral assessment and um, uh, cover some of the costs through that as well. So assistive technology, employment, digital literacy. Um, the the fourth bit before I get on to like the area that I'm a little bit more intricately involved in, but this does fit me too, is collaboration. So it's not so much a program area, but you know, we work with employers and finding people work. Um, we have a vast array of funders, both federally and in different provinces and corporations and community foundations, uh, which help leverage our work and work with different community partners to try to get stuff to the people that need it. Um, I help build this ability to sort of reach their goals. Uh, the fifth sort of area, no, sorry, take a bit of a long road here, um, is a research and development department. Uh, so beyond just service delivery is trialing new devices. Uh, we're publishing a lot and it's under open source models slightly. Um, help develop standards for the government of Canada or help other organizations that have products kind of market that want that sort of accessibility lens and perspective to the product and doing those sort of trials and evaluations. Um, so, and that's where some of our work around uh, some of the 3D printing stuff has really come in. It's under our R&D department and some of the program that's fun under that. Yeah, well, that, and that's, you know, the R&D stuff I, I find really fascinating because, um, and can you can you speak to, there? there's a program and I, 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 it escapes me what it's actually called, but it's it's where the, it's sort of the, the homegrown sort of AT uh, is yeah. developed. Yeah, that's our Makers Making Change program. Um, it's been running for about six years now. Uh, and it started out, it, it, you know, the, the story of that program is very similar to the origin story of the organization where um, we had a device that we were working on um, with a certain population and then other things kind of spun out of it. So like with Neil, Neil Squire, um, he had his injury, broke his neck at the C1, C2 level. So very similar to like a, a Christopher Reeves, very high level quadriplegia. Um, and was unable to move anything in his body. Uh, could speak a bit um, <clears throat> and was in a hospital bed, sort of staring at a roof. And a cousin or a family member who was an engineer helped develop a system where Neil could sit and puff on a tube and that got translated to Morse code and allowed him to troll what was then a state-of-the-art Apple IIe computer. Mm. So he really had a, someone that was unable to move, a bright young university student that was fully able to control a computer, do anything on it that other people were doing. Um, other people at GF Strong, GF also in Vancouver, saw what Neil was using. And, you know, I didn't need that, but I could use a computer or I could use these skills to, or use this accommodation. So that's how the organization got started. And our makers program was very similar. We won a, a Google Innovation Award to um, really modernize one of our pieces of technology. It's called the Lip Sync Now. And it's basically a computer mouse, you operate their mouth uh, for people quadriplegia or ALS or CP. Um, but you know, they have difficulty using their hands as a pointing device to use that. Uh, so we want a Google Innovation Award to sort of build this new iteration, uh, have it work with smartphones. And our model was to release it open source. So it wasn't another expensive piece of assistive technology. And very similar, you know, got a lot of listings out there and helped a lot of people with that. But other people are like, well, I don't need that, but I'll be damned if I can open my gas cap on my car with my arthritis, or you know, I have a tough time holding a pen with my lower level brakes. So I need like a writing cup. So it sort of grew into like what else can be sort of made to these new fabrication opportunities that are much more common uh, and at the community level, really that, you know, 3D printing or laser cutting or sewing, but, you know, that sort of have people 
create things locally instead of worry about buying a commercial thing uh, through various sort of uh, reseller channels. It can, you know, it can get really expensive for some people. Well, and I would think too, that being able to do, like you say, the laser cutting or 3D printing would allow you to even make things more customizable for an individual rather than a, a generic mainstream product. Yeah, that's definitely one of the, I would say, the sort of core advantages that I think this sort of model has is this both um, affordable, but also, yeah, that customizability, right? You know, disability is a spectrum. You're not going to have one perfect solution that's going to help everyone. So be able to sort of tweak things or adjust it. And the fact that it's relatively quick, I mean, if you watch a 3D printer, it could take <laughs> a while, but compared to ordering something that's coming from somewhere else, uh, you know, it's, it can be relatively quick um, and, and and really affordable, right? So, you know, like we can try to make, you know, a, a writing cuff that fits someone and, you know, maybe, okay, and these are larger here or wider here as the screw hole there. And then those are things you can do digitally and you can have the next iteration the next day, right? So you can mm -hmm. really customize the people. And sometimes it's like, little things it's not like oh the, how big was the marker or how wide does the person's hand put it on it's like you know the kid wanted it in pink so it looked cool right or you know they want to put like a avengers logo on i'm not going to mass produce or sell those please don't sue me disney but you know what i mean people can really customize it and make it their own as opposed to being like a sort of medical big device piece right so it just sort of stepping back to the sort of the whole idea of of sort of developing assistive technology sort of from the ground up uh, while you were while you were describing that i was thinking back to a, a news article that i saw uh last week and it was about these uh mit students that that had were working on this smart cane uh for the blind and um you know very neat you know it was using lidar it was using all these things to sort of swing the the cane that was on sort of wheels um, to, to do obstacle detection um, and sort of steer users away from uh, different um, obstacles in its path that it detected. And it seemed to work great if you were on a completely flat sidewalk, um, you know, on a, in a straight line. But of course, you know, when you, when you start to think about it, um, you know, any sort of weather or snow or um, you know, uneven surface or anything like that, something like that, it just isn't going to work. And so what, what I thought about that was, well, you know, clearly these guys were working on something really cool, but they weren't really talking to the people who were actually going to have to be using it because I'm sure if they had spoken to uh, a lot of the blind community, uh, they probably would have been told things like, well, you know, a cane is really just a stick and it actually works really great. Uh, you know, when you tap it and stuff, it's light. You know, when you when you attach all this stuff to it, it doesn't work, all, you know, all that great. So um, it, it just it made me think um, that when you're developing from the ground up, you're able to sort of interact with the person who's actually going to be using it and develop something that they really need instead of waiting for some sort of a larger company to to detect that there's a need in that particular uh, segment and building something for them. So it, it seems to me that you can really develop really, really um, impactful devices really fast using this, this type of model. Yeah, and I think you hit on a really key point there that um, there's like, you know, the promise of technology and you know, all the amazing things we could do. And then actually the people are gonna use it and what their sort of user experiences and what they're they're looking for. And that, well, we've seen smart cane projects submitted to the site and it's, uh, 
you could tell some very smart people have put a lot of effort into doing it. Um, but it's still like a 60 pound thing that someone's trying to carry with their hand to get sensory feedback. Right. So um, it's difficult. Yeah. So it's, I think really important, like when you are in the process of developing a technology is to have that stakeholder at the table and as a part of that process and that sort of, you know, startup mentality of, or, you know, the fail fast and iterate, you know, go move fast and break things, but like trying things and getting what doesn't work out of the way really quick helps. So I was sort of like, a, you know, like I'm not saying project management top down is always bad, but when you are developing things, you need those stakeholders to be involved. Otherwise, you know, you're, you don't have a rudder to your boat in the direction you're sort of pointing. Um, as you go through one of it's one of the things that you know really led to sort of the growth of our makers making change website was just sort of trying to systemize a little bit of that process because you know people email me oh i got this and you know someone else send me that and it's like how do we have a way where people can share what sort of access challenges they're facing and people that have opportunities or interest in developing things can sort of connect and, and meet at that sort of intersection um and it's been interesting because you know on our on our website, over half the products that are on our website are not quote unquote Neil Squire engineer time built projects. They are things that come from the disability community, be that other rehab therapists, be that from families, be that other makers that have done things that work with someone and they want to share it forward. So that sort of um, crowdsourcing of both problems but also solutions for people and, and that sort of intersection of that is where the I think the real work happens. You know. Yeah, sometimes, you know, there's a Henry Ford that makes a car when everyone's asking for a faster horse. But I would say the majority of sort of good systematic things that I think can help people in scale come from the people that need it and sort of that sort of defined need um, building from there. And Chad, is that Makers Making Change website a public website that anyone can access? Yeah, this is one of the other sort of interesting bits of the model. So yeah, makersmakingchange.com, uh, you know, TM, copyright, whatever. Uh, yeah, no, it's a public website um, where we sort of publish our assistive devices and other people publish as well. And everything there is open source. So what that means is you can take it and sort of make it. You can kind of think of like an Ikea or Lego version of assistive technology where you can look up different devices. There will be, here's the 3D print files of that's the starter piece, or here's like the blueprints to put something together, the instruction guide to make the, make the device. Um, if there's code involved, they'll have the code there. Uh, most of the projects have a good bill of materials so where you could buy the parts, you know, get the screw from Home Depot, add this to your cart on Amazon, whatever that is. Um, as a sort of model to sort of like anyone can do it. And But a lot of them also have like the source, source file so you can customize the code or change it as well. So um, it's a really bottom up sort of model. So there's no like, oh, you have to be you know, going back to work or you in school in this public sec post-secondary sort of thing. Like people can make requests for whatever uh, that is on the website. They can request those or they can put in what we call design challenges, things where we don't have a solution or aware of one and other people can solve it. Um, and come together, that sort of intersection. But it's very bottom up. Anyone can request something, it's free to sign up. You don't have to be, you know, have a employment contract number or something with a certain right. service provider or anything like that. So how has 3D printing really impacted um, the program? Because it seems to me that, you know, especially these days, we hear all these problems with things like supply lines, 
um, manufacturers having really having a having to struggle in keeping up with demand because um, you know they can't get parts or they just they can't get enough machines manufactured to to keep up. Um, something like three D printing, like how how has that impacted things? Three D printing for us has been um, really great. There's definitely that sort of yeah, it seems like new technology and it is in some ways, but also it's becoming much more ubiquitous. Like a lot of schools will have 3D printers or like in the school district, there'll be a robotics team that'll have a 3D printer. Um, they're in some of the libraries throughout the province here in BC and Canada. And there's this community maker spaces. So the ability to sort of fabricate and make these things is fairly well distributed. We have a few good sort of like maker space in your community maps on the website, but it's actually shocking uh, how that is. And again, you, you have that local there. Um, where you can test, play, iterate, and kind of guess on that best works for your sort of solution. So that side for us has been good. The 3D printing side it has not faced, you know, global supply chain shortages. Um, but some of the projects do have microcontrollers in them or PCB boards, right? And some of those have been like, you know, we, we have, I think we have a good solution here and we'll be able to test it in two months when, you know, we can get that circuit board out of uh you know, China or Taiwan, where the heck it's coming from, right? So mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say we've been totally immune to that. But what also sort of happened in this sort of COVID world changing sort of piece for us was in the early days of COVID, there was a really, and the shortage of PPE was a really big boom in that sort of people making solutions, people sewing their own face masks, printing the parts, the shields. And I think we sort of benefited from that sort of, you know, um, crowdsourced sort of model of people like, you know, yeah, I can 3D print, you know, 10 of the switch parts or the casing for the adaptive toy or whatever. I got the 3D printer sitting here. It's good to put it to use sort of stuff. So there is that sort of, um, it's kind of related, but that sort of the supply line and the way the sort of world has changed has, I think, sort of, um, you know, sped up a bit of our sort of growth or awareness that, you know, we can sort of blend the sort of, you know, um, assistive technology, but also sort of STEM and community-based education sort of programs together at an interesting intersection that actually, you know, people that are, you know, in school and learning design or learning 3D modeling have a chance to do something that actually has an impactful work for someone. And you can really, you know, meet someone where they're at with assistive technology needs and getting something custom for them, be that a small thing in their daily life or, you know, more complex systems. I find 3D printing, it's really interesting because you know, it's funny, you, you say that it's ubiquitous, but at the same time, I feel like it really hasn't trickled down to say the average person. Um, you know, I have one friend that has a 3D printer and he's a huge, huge, huge tech nerd um, who works for Canon. So like, you know, he's, it, it doesn't even count. For the most part, most people really don't really have access to or probably have even seen a, a 3D printer. But, uh, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, like in terms of like um, organizations and schools and and things, it they've certainly are manageable now. Um, how, what do you, how do you see that going forward? Do you, do you see them becoming a little bit more um, ubiquitous in terms of like bleeding into, into the home level? Or um, yeah, like what's the technology like to work with? Is it getting better and more accessible? Yeah, no, and, and fair enough, Rob. I don't know whether we're all going to have a 3D printer, you know, beside our coffee machine at home, uh, printing out uh, the daily gizmo and things like that. Um, but yeah, there, there's certainly, uh, I would say we see the increase over time uh, and the sort of pieces that are um, 
where that is available, at least at the certain community level. And that's trauma reduced, trying to help map that out and really try to bring that intersection of like people that are, you know, your your buddy at Canon that has a 3D printer and can put something on to the people that may have a request or need and meet that. Um, we're finding that um, it's become more common, definitely in like in libraries, uh, for sure. Uh, most of the pieces and the technology, it's like a lot of sort of new and bleeding in technology. The, the cost has come down. And I think the ease of use has definitely increased. We had sort of standardized on a couple of 3D printers with our staff. So one is uh, the Prusa. Um, they come with the Czech Republic, but they have a fairly big following. Um, they're about a thousand dollars, you know, by the time import fees, something like 1300 bucks. Um, but they are like workhorses for us, you know, and I am saying there's never a problem, but they are the sort of you print and it just sort of works, sticks to the bed well, uh, lots of like default sort of settings, just kind of, you know, do your sort of prints is uh, I would say very beginner friendly. And there's lots of sort of like, you know, get up and running sort of tutorials around on YouTube and all that sort of piece. Uh, the other ones that we've been using are the Ender printers. Um, they're a little, uh, I would say more work, but also more affordable. The Ender printer that I have uh, here at home, I guess I'm in the dork with your buddy, they can in there. Um, but, uh, you know, I bought for $250. I maybe spent another 50 bucks on sort of extra parts and then 3D printed other parts for it. And it takes a little bit more like manual sort of leveling and pieces like that. But, you know, for someone that likes to tinker and play around, you know, it's like a sub $500 sort of thing in your house to have wow. a, a working solution. So, mm. um, so it's work to probably be done, I would say, in the accessibility of these devices. We have uh, a guy on our team, a lad uh, with a disability, very limited range of motion. He has a Prusa Mini on his desk, and he's able to do sort of most things. It can be difficult sort of to load the filament. He's going to need a hand with some of the, the hands-on sort of pieces. But um, they're getting more accessible, and we're seeing them, you know, it's more and more in schools where there's going to be that, and even in elementary schools. I went and spoke uh, to a grade six class last year when we were finally allowed back into schools post-COVID a little bit here in the spring. And, uh, you know, it was a grade six class that has their 3D maker club on lunch on Thursdays. You know what I mean? So it's, oh, wow. it's interesting what these, these things are and sort of um, creeping up. Um, and so if someone's like, you know, I think maybe something would help me with like 3D printing. They should like, you know, they've listened this far. This their permission slip to email me, but you know, put a request <laughs> in through the website. Um, or you know, if you're looking for help, like you know, where you're fine. It's interesting in, in Nanaimo, um, so I know spinal cord injury BC, she just mails in the file. Like she has a file, she mails it in, and then she goes drop off her books for the week. She picks up her 3D print and they charge her like for filament, and it's like, you know, wow. 10 cents a gram or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's uh you know, for three or four dollars, she has a sort of print, right? So this is interesting sort of models to sort of, you know, you don't need to have a 3D printer to benefit from 3D printing through the sort of these different models and library services and community clubs that are already existing to so sort of leveraging them uh, to help, you know, people with disabilities for their sort of goals. Wow, and actually that, that price point is actually a lot lower than I thought. Um, I mean, that's not not bad at all. I mean, especially when you consider uh, you know, say a Braille printer, for example, you know, mm -hmm. Ryan, I'm sure like, what's the, what's an average Braille printer worth? $4,000. Yeah. So, I mean, easily, easily cheaper. That's fascinating. Yeah. The, uh, there's a couple of projects on the website. Yeah. I should send them to you, Ryan, you give us uh, feedback and that's an important bit of that sort of feedback and that sort of iterative process. Like, you know, we have, I'm just looking out 182 projects on the website that are quote unquote published and done, but 
you know, are they ever really finished? There's always a sort of tweak <laughs> that someone can make or change or sure. bend, right? Like with our lip sync project, you know, you added Bluetooth over time and then uh, code so it worked as a joystick, right? Uh, some of our writing aids, there's now the sort of scalable model. So, you know, doesn't just sit your sort of standard pen. There's, you know, you put a toothbrush in there, yeah. right? Or pieces like that, right? So, you know, things can always bend and shift. And so it's never finished. So it's dynamic and things change, right? So, um, but yeah, it definitely on the affordability side, like just a benchmark, like you could buy a good roll of filament, like a kilogram of filament, it's about $30, right? You know, so many of our aids that we print are under like, you know, 10 grams of sort of piece. So you can sort of think like you're starting to talk like, you know, it's like a buck to make something, right? And if it doesn't work, well, that's another dollar to get it right the second time, nice. whatever, right? Wow. So, um, you know, the, the cost is your time playing the models and like going through that sort of stuff, right? That's, you know, where it'll take energy. But the material cost of 3D printing is almost negligible. So is that filament reusable? It's not like a, you, you don't melt it down again and reuse it, right? Uh, we've seen, you know, different like capstone projects where they've taken like scraps and like, you know, shredded it and melted it down and reuse wow. it. Okay. Um, it's, you know, it, I would say over time it degrades. Like how many sure. times you know, photocopy the same piece of paper before it's just mess. Right. Um, but he, one of the, it's a student that we had actually do an internship with us. And this is a project is like, his, you know, before he worked for us. Uh, but he brought in, so the default sort of printer thing is called a Benchy. It's basically this little tugboat. And I don't know why there's probably some historical thing where this little tugboat <laughs> is like the first thing you print to see how your thing works, but some overhangs and it's on the angle and stuff. So you just printed this, you know, printed like five of them and then, you know, shredded four of them, went into the machine, print them again. And you can see over time, like it's starting to get, you know, like melted wax a little right. bit. All right. Um, and, you know, there is some waste that comes with 3D printing, those sort of prints that don't work out. And, you know, someone, like, I don't have a plastic shredder. I'm not that geeky where I have a plastic shredder and we're using the sort of pieces, but it's, it's really affordable to get the filament and some good Canadian companies uh, that do that sort of work and fill it for us. So it's great. So do you, do you sort of see a time when, like, literally, and I don't know, maybe maybe this already exists, but where you can literally, like, you'd, you'd have a file of something that you want to get printed 3D, you would just go to whatever, uh, you know, uh, the 3D printing version of Kinko's and, and go and, and give them the file and they just, they print it and you come back and, and the next day you have a $2 part. Yeah, that uh, that does exist. It's maybe not like the Kinko's or the staples on the corner, um, but there's some online services that, that do that. Um, the, like, Shapeways is one uh, where you, they have, you know, some like, you know, I need this part for my fridge, you know, Sears doesn't exist anymore. You know, we could print the new sort of handoff thing and you, you know, you click that file, you order for them and they, you know, ship it to you in the mail. Um, so th those wow. services uh, are out there already, right? Um, and there's those places where they have like big farms of 3D printers, like mass churning out sort of products because it's, you know, compared, you know, it's not quite the sort of scale where we're doing a mass injection molding sort of thing in China that makes financial set. But it's, you know, they need some sort of multi, you know, uh, multiple sort of things at a sort of more sort of mid-sized or smaller scale, right? So, yeah, there are other, there's different companies like Shapeways where you can do that uh, things. I don't want to pull up. The risk of naming companies are going to forget someone and then someone's going to call me a jerk. Uh, I mean, <laughs> along the way. But, uh, yeah, no, there's those sort of crowds. And that's what we're trying to do on the system technology side. So if you have something we 3D printed, you put the question through the website and our network will help fulfill that request. And the only 
cost to this sort of participant is the cost of materials, which you know is known up front that this is a print that costs like $2. Um, right. And we ended up just having a lot of people just 3D print stuff and donate it to us to have in our inventory so that when someone has something, we've got to have it on hand and give it to them right away. Right? So do you guys ever reach out to the community and say, you know, we need, I don't know, 150 of these parts or pieces or, you know, buttons or knobs and the community just gets together and, and does like a community project? Yeah, exactly. We have uh, sort of across North America, about 40 chapters. So these are community led groupings sort of under us that are looking to sort of fulfill that gap. And quite often they sort of look like each chapter looks a little different, but typically they're very, you know, disability centric sort of place, like a rehab hospital um, or like a disability organization, sort of like youth with disabilities. And they're trying to pull in makers and help fabricate some things they need. Sometimes the chapters their way, they're like a robotics club and they're super overachievers and they also <laughs> want to get back to the community. Um, and they're trying to meet people in the community and do that. Our best chapters is a mix of both those things where you have those sort of, you know, dorky maker people interacting and close with it. We have a couple chapters where like, that is the same person. They're like occupational therapists that are like executive directors of maker spaces or STEM education sort of programs, right? So we have these sort of chapters that do that. So like here in Vancouver, where I am, uh, we have a chapter of the Vancouver hack space. Um, and we sort of have like a, every month there's a new spreadsheet and sort of different things I could use a hand with. Um, I think we had one month where they printed over 400 different things for me. Wow. <laughs> like, it was crazy. And so I was like, okay, I need 10 of these, 50 of these or whatever. It's, it's funny, you know, the sort of like hacker, sort of like just in times or mentality. If I need 400 things, the best time for me to ask for it is about a week beforehand. And then everyone tries to make sure I don't fail. Like mass run their printers <laughs> around the clock. If I say like, you know, in three months, I need 400 things. The ball doesn't move very quick, right? So right. Uh, so a lot of printing and also like a lot of, um, a lot of sort of adapting toys for kids with disabilities. That's become mm -hmm. really huge for us. Um, so many of sort of switch activated toys are like, 250 bucks, 300 bucks. It's crazy. Um, these are like simple soldering projects that are not, you know, difficult to, I can teach people the skills to do that. Um, and we do a lot of work that sort of going to schools and sort of teaching little sort of basic STEM stuff, but in the lens of like, okay, we're not going to 3d print a Groot head. We're going to 3d print, you know, a phone mount that can go into someone's wheelchair, or we're not going to, you know, solder eyes into a teddy bear. We're going to put a switch port into it so you can, so we can use switch access technologies or access it. So the hack space has been great that too. So it's usually like, here's all the toys this month that I would need a hand hack and I'll post a night. And sometimes people come do it with me. Sometimes they'll take it home and do it and bring it back. Uh, and sometimes the problem is someone came and took all the toys and did it all themselves and didn't share with anyone else through the hacking. You know, it's, uh, it's an interesting sort of model um, where, you know, people have these skills. I think everyone wants to get back to the community but to be able to sort of, if you're sort of geeky uh, and techie, uh, to give back in the sort of tech way and sort of use your skills to give back is, is really powerful for some people to so sort of way to sort of participate. So, you know, a lot of our success in the Makers program is those sort of volunteer sort of pieces. Um, and we've also like hosted those sort of events. We've had, you know, corporations that are going to do like a, a team building day, you know, like a, a TELUS or a Salesforce or Microsoft. And instead of like, picking garbage out of the creek or, you know, um, soup, a soup kitchen and nothing wrong with those sort of opportunities and ways to get back to the community. But you also have some very smart technical people with engineering skills and they can accomplish things that perhaps maybe other people are not able to, whether that's sort of like doing like a hackathon or design challenge around something or building a bunch of, you know, 
adapted toys or access switches or whatever projects from our library that can go as the community partner. So um, it's an interesting opportunity, I think, to sort of leverage the sort of growing tech sector and knowledge economy around us and have a sort of, you know, way to give back through those sort of skill-based um, options. A few years ago, I think it was Microsoft that came out with an adaptive controller for the Xbox. And I don't know if Sony has done the same thing, but I know you guys have worked sort of in conjunction or closely with, you know, the Googles, Microsofts of the world. Are you hearing or seeing any of their attitudes change towards accessibility and, you know, the use of 3D printing to, to do so? Yeah, uh, one of the things that Microsoft announced this last May, so every May Microsoft has their like, I think it's their enable summit, is their, their big sort of disability stakeholder piece. And mm -hmm. there's a bunch of different things. And that's where they announced previously the adaptive controller. It was either a bad or global accessibility awareness day. Mm -hmm. um, but this year they announced um, uh, a new sort of mouse series. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how they're going to brand it or call it, but it's, I think the Microsoft adaptive accessories. Um, so it's basically a mouse, like, you know, a computer mouse, but it's smaller. And the idea is that you could 3D print add-ons onto it. So you can print it like a, as a vertical mouse or, you know, change the sort of shape and size to depend on the sort of person's needs, right? Whether you need thumb rest on the side or higher arch or whatever. Um, so you're seeing that sort of like, I, I would say both those companies, you know, take accessibility seriously and have teams of really great people working on projects there. Um, but it is interesting to sort of see them uh, lean into a little bit more of that sort of like, you know, they're a big, you know, they sell product and they sell services, right. um, but also lean into that sort of like, yes, but, and you can also 3D print and add on. And we're trying to help foster that sort of opportunity for that sort of customization um, for people that need it. Chad, when you're doing some some of these 3D printing projects, especially if it's something like the adaptive toys and things of that nature, do you run into any barriers in terms of the source material, in terms of ingestibility or um, dishwasher safe and things things of that nature that that you wouldn't in more traditionally manufactured products? Yeah, good question. This should not probably be part of your new. Um... Dietless. No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat the plastic, Liz. Don't eat the I, filament. No. I, uh, when we were starting all this sort of piece, uh, I was at a maker fair and someone had a pancake bot. So it printed, instead of like plastic out, it was a different sort of printer, but it was like batter. So they were printing like custom shaped pancakes. Um, and Purdy's has, I think it's Purdy's, has a chocolate 3D printer somewhere uh, in the either. So it is possible. Um, but uh, generally, the 3D printers that you know our volunteers are using or in your library, they're going to use something called PLA plastic, um, which is relatively safe, but it's not food safe. And it's more of a 3D printing process of going through this extruder and hot end. And in it, there's allegedly food safe filaments, but it's still going through the same machine. So we don't really do anything or recommend anything where you're 3D printing something that's going to go into someone's mouth or pieces like that. Um, just the, I mean, the, the basic for someone that has not seen the 3d printer or trying to visualize what it may look like, um, it's like a glue gun on an etch-a-sketch in a lot of ways where it's, you know, hot plastic, you know, plastic goes through the hot end, melts just a little bit, um, and it draws a sort of design path. Eventually after it does one layer, 
it's an elevator for a second, goes up one floor and then does the next blue gun sort of sort of piece. It's, it's very similar to that. Um, between those layers as you print is an opportunity for, you know, germs and things that caught in the ridges and pieces like that. So when say food safe, um, you know, if you're going to print things that are like dishwasher or maybe like hotter temperatures, uh, the other sort of common plastic used now is called PETG. I'm sure that's a clever acronym for something that I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it is more, uh, a little more durable and not as susceptible to heat. So, for example, one of the things on our website is just, um, you know, the disability parking pass that people hang in their mirror. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a holder for that. So someone breaks their cab or has difficult time getting that on and off or they're moving vehicles, whatever. It's just a plastic holder on that. We print that in PETG. PLA has a lower melting temperature. So when you're in like these hot days of summer and don't leave your dog in there, don't leave your PLA 3D prints in there either. They will warp and deform a little bit or PETG is a little bit more um, heat resistant to the, to the uh, environmental elements around it. So we've not like 3D printed like a spoon but we 3D printed sort of spoon holders where you can put a spoon into it, uh, pieces like that. But nothing really going into anyone's mouth. And I think that's mm -hmm. that's important. And I'm trying to help people out, not get them sick by having the dirty stuff in their mouth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm still reeling from the idea of custom shaped pancakes you know it's funny you say that because i was just sitting here thinking do i ask him how close are we to being able to print our own food a whopper protein possibly yeah that's right i was on the same train rob uh, <laughs> well, i mean how different is your uh mcdonald's hamburger really right when they're making those patties in the factory really that's right so it's true. not in your house but in the factory the it's weirdos coming up in the shapes so What's the sort of the entry level tech skill that somebody would need in order to like have a 3D printer and operate a 3D printer? Like where is, where is the real technical component of that? Is it creating a digital file of the thing that you want to print? And then once you have that, that's sort of the hard part. And then it's easy. It's just, you just send the file to the printer and it does its thing or like where, where, do, where's the real sort of the, the heavy tech based skill in all of this. Yeah. And I think there's sort of, you know, to sort of go through like there's different steps of the process, right? Like, you know, the idea, but like, if you're trying to design something, you can get like super technical, right? Like there's, you know, engineers that make a lot of money doing different design and 3d modeling and pieces like that. Um, not everything has to be that hard. Uh, you know, there's sort of, you know, there's like, you know, Cadillacs and then there's like, you know, Corollas. <laughs> the same thing in sort of 3D sort of design stuff. You know, people can have their rocket ships and do amazing things and have like parametric designs. Like, oh, I'm going to type in this measurement and change the model throughout, stuff like that. Um, and then there's, like, you know, like the Microsoft Paints of the world, right? Um, you know, so I have engineers that do really intricate designs and that allows for better customizability. If I'm trying to do something quick and dirty, I use something called Tinkercad. It's free. It's like an online drawing program, uh, but like in three dimensions and you can export the file. So, you know, you, and all these sort of steps, there's, you know, the, the easy way and then the intricate, more detailed way. But, you know, so it's through the process. There's the file, right? Like whatever it is you want to print. So whether that's either you are creating it from scratch or you're getting it from a repository, be that makersbeacanchange.com or Thingiverse is a huge site with millions of designs. 
Uh, printables is another one, but a whole bunch of designs. So you don't have to be a designer. Um, a lot of people have shared their designs and you just, you know, like a PDF from a website, you just save as and save it to your computer. Wow. Um, or you can design your own, create it, and then save it to your computer. Usually when people are printing, they'll save in a couple of different formats, but the common one you're going to see is an STL file, .stl, and that's basically a 3D model file. And you pull that into a software called your slicer program, which basically takes the model and the way you sort of basically position it on your uh, 3D printer bed, like virtually, right? So you're kind of looking at like, okay, I'm going to put it standing this way so that it, it prints like this. And there's different ways you can sort of tackle 3D printing um, for more strength um, or flexibility, durability, and just the success of the print. You know, if you think if you're going to print uh, a bridge, let's just say like a, a bridge, printing the first layer of the bridge is easy. It's touching the ground. But when you're going, you know, to print the bridge deck across with nothing underneath it, 3D printing, like it just is going to droop down. It always needs something underneath it. Um, so you can sometimes bridge a short little area or you use something like support material underneath, which is basically extra 3D print material underneath the bridge, like scaffolding that when the bridge is done, you take it all away and the bridge stands there intact. Um, so, you know, you can get technical with that as well, right? Like, you know, how are you gonna print for strength and to use less material and pieces like that? But that's the sort of like next step. First is getting the design, uh, having a file you can print. The second is sort of laying it out to print on the 3D printer. And you export that as a G-code file, um, which is just basically the directions that that, you know, as you get, Etch a sketch will go and move, right? It's going to move to this spot and this spot and this spot and extrude and then pull this piece up on that bit or whatever. So it's the direction. So, um, you know, there's lots of good resources out there. We have some curriculum out there. You know, we're teaching these skills to kids sort of, you know, grade four, grade five up, I would say much more in the sort of like, you know, high school system. Um, and then, you know, we've had a bunch of interns that have come on from different parts of post-secondary, but these are like learnable skills. Um, and I said the barriers of entry have come down, right? You can go as deep down the rabbit hole as you want and become a mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, but you know, um, it, we have, you know, young kids that are printing things out and trying it out. Um, and it's, uh, it's really, uh, really fascinating how low the bar of entry is, I would say now compared to like 10 years ago, uh, mm -hmm. and sort of skills right. and things that are available. Yeah, it's kind of been sort of quiet. I like I, I remember, you know, when we first heard about 3D printing, and it probably was, I don't know, what was it about 10 years ago, um, when the when this technology first, first emerged. Um, and and thinking that, wow, you know, this is gonna be this is gonna be a game changer. This is gonna be amazing. And it sounds like it has, but sort of under the water, because it's not it, again, it just it, it hasn't trickled to the consumer level. So, you know people who are sort of novices haven't really noticed this, but it sounds like it's really um, gaining a lot of momentum uh, otherwise. So that's really exciting. Um, one thought that I had though, one question for you is that how it, are there, is there a big impact in terms of stuff like copyright and intellectual property stuff going on? Is it, is it kind of like the wild west out there? Because it seems to me like if you wanted to print off a, uh, you know, a Mickey Mouse shaped uh, bowl or something. You could you could totally do that if if you had someone make it. And you know, Disney doesn't get a cut of that. Like, how is how is that all being managed? 
Yeah, no, good question. That sort of like intellectual property and pieces. It's just funny. As you said that, I'm like, you know, I'm curious. So I went to Thingiverse and I typed in Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's a lot of things here. That's for sure. Right. Um, so th th there is a sort of whole and time. There's, um, you know, at least like what I can control and what I can't control. In, in my, you know, what comes to the maker sort of site, you know, people submit with it. They're sort of licensing whether they're choosing, you know, Creative Commons, which is an open source license, MIT has an open source license, but they're all sort of open license. But people can say, yes, it is um, open for you to print and to make your own, but no commercial derivatives. So you can't sell it sort of piece, right? So people can sort of, you know, keep some of those sort of rights. And there is, you know, I would say, corporate success stories at the intersections of like open source world, like the Linuxes of the world, right? Where there's, you know, communities and support uh, pieces around that. Um, but the, still the open source sort of piece stays there. Um, we haven't like had anyone submit anything that's been blatantly sort of copyright, uh, nor knock on wood have I had any lawyers say that's copyright. You need to take that down anything on our site. Um, it has happened in the 3D printer communities. The Thingiverse used to have a bunch of, uh, lego sort of prints there now if you want to find lego-ish things you can't say the copyright word lego but you can say you know modular brick system or something <laughs> like that and then find the sort of piece so there has been that sort of like you know corporate step in towards like okay like we're losing our intellectual property and in all of our work here um and i say other in instances of sort of the 3d printing world i'm not seeing that in sort of the intersection of the technology world uh at least yet um maybe you know, maybe that will come, right? Where there's a piece that we feel or someone's going to feel is too close. But um, it, it is interesting. You know, we most things that are posted online, you declare a license with it. But, you know, that's like, yes, you can use my design of that. But whether you designed Mickey Mouse knockoff, you know, that's on to the designer then at that point, right? Um, but I think that, uh, you know, we, we will probably see more, you know, news stories and things around that in the future. Yeah, I, I I would agree. I mean, I think that it sounds like it's this is all still so new that uh, we just haven't run across any any. It, it hasn't really become a huge issue yet because no one's really noticed. It's not on enough people's radars, I'm sure, um, legally. So I mean, and we saw the same thing with with a lot of different tech, right? Think back to you know MP3 ripping and and all of all of that. Um, you know, it took a while for the music industry to, to sort of catch wind of, oh, wait a minute, this MP3 thing this is going to be a problem. We're going to have to. Well, it's another case of technology getting ahead of legislation. Right. Yeah. No one, no one thought up so much of the the things that are now um, so commonplace. But yeah, I mean, who? I mean, the 3D printing. Think about when we were kids. That's like that was like Jetson stuff, you know? Yeah. Yep. Buck Rogers. Yeah, you're making literally making something from nothing. Well, mm -hmm. uh, kind of from filament. From, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, ugh, that's so great. I, you know, I know I want one. Well, okay. two hundred and fifty bucks, you can have one. <laughs> yeah, and print as many pancakes as you want. <laughs> <laughs> can we start a special AT banter GoFundMe? So we can get a 3D printer. Oh, yeah, I'll, I think so. I'll, I'll send him the first 30 bucks for the filament. <laughs> Steve, not too far from me. Just have him show up my doorstep with his dog. And I'm like, all right, don't kill me. Take, take, take my <laughs> printer. <laughs> <laughs> it has to make be, pancakes. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pancakes and cowbells. <laughs> oh. oh. We could be printing cowbells. Wow. See? Oh. Well, I don't, well, I don't think you. the filament would make a good sound. It, I, Can you well, it doesn't already... all have to be. Like, we have many projects, you know, it's like mostly plastic, but you're buying some screws from somewhere, right? So you get something, oh, a big metal yeah. ball in the middle of it, right? That you screw into it. it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I, I, will, well, I will take that as my personal challenge. I mean, right. at some point, Ryan, if you got like, you know, if someone needs something for real, you should definitely for real do that. But in the meantime, until the first AT Banter podcast request comes in, makers making change for a device, <laughs> I will work on the cowbell problem for you and you can A-B awesome. test it for me. You know, all right. This is the 3D printer one. Well, the first AT Banter request will be going in tomorrow and it's from me. Okay. It's something I've been wanting for years, and there's only one product out there that has met my need, and it works. But I'll tell you more later. Oh wow! Yeah, you know, we've seen a bit of that of like different things where it's been, uh, you know, there was one company that made something for a while, doesn't make sense for them. The company's not around anymore, uh-huh. and there's still people that use this thing. Yeah, and now like good luck getting it right. Um, yeah. The gas cap opener that I printed with some of the arthritis society was like she brought in like this is my old one and I, they don't sell it anywhere anymore. And I got someone, <laughs> this is the only thing that works for her. And it's like, okay, so like maybe this company will come and sue me, but let us like make a sort of rough model of it and you know, print one off, right? And uh see how it works, right? So yeah, you know. Yeah. But cowbell, I have that on my to-do list. <laughs> I love it. Listen, Chad, I'm I'm good with a chocolate cowbell yeah. with no not a non-milk chocolate so well yeah the, the trick is having the little oompa loopas run the waterfall keep it that nice sort of consistency <laughs> as it comes through right that's the real roadblock on that one oh. yeah it's true so we need to 3d uh, print some oompa loopas yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh now we're now we're going right down the rabbit hole yeah that's a little more matrix terminator sort of dystopian yeah, exactly. for, for, you know. <laughs> maybe we all are just all 3d printing somebody somebody's we're all just a result of somebody 3d printing well you know i'm just kind of sitting here thinking about this question but chad those because 3d printing has been around now a while we probably have items in our homes that are 3d printed and don't even think about it would that be accurate um mm. it, interesting i like mean my, thinking, my house certainly does <laughs> well, i'm thinking about you know maybe even our like our digital assistants right you know would they have been 3d printed or are they you know just plastic fabricated um, probably more the latter but so, yeah sometimes like knobs and pieces like that ha- have been done that way um you know the 3d printing is also that you know i'm an advocate of and use um but you don't get quite the same like tight tolerances that you would in some sort of like mass produced amazon right. echo with the little plastic sort of pieces and clips like that okay. um so there there there's sometimes limitations as to how small and fine with detail you can do with i guess traditional uh, what is it called FDM printing, which is that sort of like etch a sketch glue gun analogy you going to it, the filament going through. There are other 3D printing methodologies like using resin based printers, uh, which are usually smaller and deal with complicated chemicals. I'm not going down that rabbit hole myself, mm-hmm. um, but you can do smaller, more intricate sort of pieces of those, but you know, it's more work to sort of produce those. So, mm-hmm. and so I think you probably may see some more uh, pieces like that. I'm trying to think of like um, 
the, the you know, Call of Dark, I'm like on a Facebook 3D printing sort of group sort of piece. And just, I can't remember what the brand or make the car, which is also good on my quest to not get sued. But someone like was doing some of their car and they were looking at a piece like, they 3D printed this. This isn't some mass manufactured sort of like funked right. out of a factory. Like whether that was like, we did this to the supply chain issue or something, but someone repairing their car, like this is definitely not, you know, the Chevy huh. original press, whatever back when, right? So um it is creeping up and i think you'll see more of that especially like in the sort of you know home repair mm-hmm. sort of sort of option right is you know people try to keep machines or cars going or uh stuff like that and it's hard to get old parts um you're gonna i think see more of that sort of piece of fulfillment but yeah there are definitely like you know the, I, I met a guy um at one of the maker fairs that ran like a 3d printing farm and he does that for a number of sort of commercial vendors or like tools for people like custom like you know special jigs that work for the special manufacturing line or whatever right. well he'll be printing thousands of these um oh right so that's i think you know it probably does lurk underneath the surface a little bit more than we realize now and i think it's going to kind of rise up to so be a little more aware in our future so is there you know i'm just thinking i've got old you know manual washer and dryer sitting down here in the basement and if one of my knobs decided to go, is there like a, a camera? How would you scan that in to take a 3D print? Yeah, a couple of different ways where you can take a, an existing sort of piece and get it, you know, remade through virtual. Um, one is, you know, Google it and see if you can find them. The <laughs> STL, you know, Kenmore model 8473. Um, right. You'll be shocked, like, you know, because you're not the first person that's probably broke that down. Exactly. Thing, right. Yeah. So um, there's that. Um, apparently, no, I have an Android phone, so I've not used this, but apparently um, there's an app on the new Apple phone, which does a pretty good sort of like you move the camera around it, the device around it. Uh, and it takes a fairly good approximation of what it is and models it out. Wow. Um, so that's, I would say, the newer sort of cutting edge I've seen. We've, you know, there are 3D scanner devices out there that you can buy. So yeah, another toy to, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to buy like a $2,000 3D scanner. <laughs> so I get my 50 cent knob. So they're done. <laughs> um, but, you know, the other sort of ways, a bit of reverse engineering it. And these are, again, our s- skills that people are learning in school and stuff where, you know, you just take measures of it. So I have a set of tools it's called the calipers. They're basically like a fancy ruler that sort of squeezes tight on the end to give me, it is this many point, this many millimeters right. per piece. It's like, okay, it's a circle. It's outer, you know, diameter is, you know, 5.5 centimeters. The little thing there is like a hexagon and it's inner diameter is this. Print it out, right? Um, and does it work? Well, you know, tweak it a little bit. And I mean, sometimes it works enough right like right. it's not exactly yeah. perfect um does it fit on quite there so you know you take your exacto knife you shave it off a little bit right and mm-hmm. and then you know you can you know put uh the at banter you know 300 <laughs> podcast episode guest host uh logo on the front of it or whatever right you can tweak yeah. it or make it a triangle or you know what i mean to make another knob of squares you know the front one's always square or whatever right so you can tweak it dude so you can you know Usually, like simple sort of shapes like that are not hard to sort of model right. or do, but you don't, you're not also constrained to just doing the simple shape that it was before. And you can, you know, 3D print it with braille numbers on one side or the other to get an idea of it or whatever, right? So you can really sort of make it better than it was, right? Not just make it as was. Very cool. 
So one last question for you, and it's kind of just like sort of an open-ended question, because I'm just curious. So considering all the work that you've done um, in 3D printing so far and sort of looking forward and down the road, who knows, maybe 10, 15 years, do you really see this having a, like a large impact on assistive technology in general um, in terms of like even just price point? Is it is the more ubiquitous this technology becomes and the more people are using it, is it, do you think it's going to be, do you think we're going to be able to make assistive technology cheaper than we, we currently can? I think so. Yeah. I, I think there's a few factors at play um, that I'm hoping will continue to make assistive technology more affordable to the people that need it. Um, one is actually, you know, there's a 3D printing side of it, but the other bit is, I think, the sort of more mainstreaming of some commercial devices, you know. Smart homes have been around in the disability community for like 30 years, but they're also incredibly expensive. Mm -hmm. Now you have consumer sort of products, so you can say, hey, Google, you know, or like, this is at my damn door or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, you know, there's those sort of smart home products which have accessibility sort of either baked into it or implications to it. But we, we see it in the, the maker world, like the LipSync project, which really sort of started us, down this road, um, you know, even back then when we were sort of just figuring out our initial supply chain of regular cars, you know, the commercial equivalent at the time was the Joust, which was also made by Neil Squire way back when, and it's you know, sold through a manufacturer distributor. But it was retailing that time for like 1500 US. And we were able to make the lip sync device, which was smaller and didn't have a control box on it. It was all in the head of the device. And it was like 250 to 300 bucks worth of parts compared to the commercial sort of option, right? Um, and that's just one, like, you know, projects that don't have like microcontrollers and stuff in it. I think there's huge opportunities for, again, both that customization for the person making work, but just the general affordability. And I think it is slowly, again, starting to come a little bit more mainstream in the AT community. When we were starting this work, we got our Google grant. One of the first outreach events I did was at um, uh, the American Occupational Therapy Association. So I had a booth on this trade floor there. Little did I know when I booked it, it was like their 100 year centennial. It was crazy. There was like 20,000 occupational therapists there. It was crazy. I was the only one there with a 3D printer showing this sort of stuff. And there was one session on 3D printer. This year uh, at ATIA, they have a whole conference, one of the three conference track speakers can present under is the maker. What sort of things we made and sort of pieces, right? So, you know, I was a bleeding edge weirdo from Canada on the trade floor in Philly, you know, five and a half years ago. That still may not be too wrong. But, um, you know, in terms of like it being part of like sort of community of practice and emerging and people trying to learn how to pull us in, uh, it's, it's coming in. You know, ATIA has a speaker track on it. They have a maker day. I'm going to the AT Maker Fair here in a couple of weeks in New Hampshire, where it's really the intersection of this is a technology, but sort of the DIY, do-it-yourself methodology. Um, so it's not as uncommon in the AT area as it was five years ago. And I think as it becomes more common, you're going to see certain um, vendors or commercial sort of offerings that's going to be um a difficult time for them in terms of like you know the people don't need to pay the like mm -hmm. a, a simple example of something that's really easy to 3d prints um that uh, baffles me how it charges um if people are using assistive switches like push button switches and you need to mount it there's these proprietary mounting plates for each switch 
and each costs like 110 bucks uh, to go onto the company's like proprietary mounting arm. And it's like, right. I, I can 3D print the interface on the back of the switch. And we screw in these um, female barrels of nussabometer, quarter 20 measurement, which is the fancy word for every single tripod you've ever seen in your life at a Canadian <laughs> Tire or uh, you know Princess Auto or Dollar Store. So it's like now you can take any sort of mounting piece for like a phone or a camera or a tripod and interface that to the switch. And that's like, you know, a dollar worth of plastic and maybe like $1 part from Home Depot, right? Like this, wow. like the market for like, you know, mounting switches, I think is one that 3D printing, you know, as it gets more common, is an easy one where just like, this makes no sense to like, right. he's paying a hundred dollars when I can yeah. download this file for free and get printed on my library for a buck, right? So. Well, listen, Chad, uh, we want to thank you so much for coming and geeking out with us about this for an hour. Uh, I love this. Uh, it's been a while since we've had a good geek out, I feel like, on the show. So uh, you definitely helped us scratch that itch. Well, a pleasure. Uh, nice chatting with you all and uh, having uh, the opportunity to talk to me about the work and, you know, keep up the great stuff. You guys have a great podcast, course, lots of fun. Well, thank you. Before we go, though, uh, can you tell uh, the audience uh, where they can go to, say, find you or to find uh, Neil Squire or anything else that you would like to uh, plug? Sure. So uh, my name is Chad Lehman. You can find me. I'm very creative. My handle on everything is just at Chad Lehman. Um, <laughs> the, the work uh, neilsquire.ca has a full breadth of the organization's sort of services and programs and pieces done. And then a lot of the stuff we were talking about today was makers making change. And we're on, you know, your, your Facebook and your Twitters and your Instagrams and, you know, I'm sure some other apps that I don't even realize exist in the world as well. <laughs> uh, but Makers Making Change and uh, Neil Squire Society. You Google those, you'll, you'll find your way to me. All right. Well, perfect, Chad. We'll be in touch uh, with all this, it, with a, a whole list of AT banter merch that we want you to print. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Look forward to it. All right, guys. All right. Thanks thanks so much. Enjoy your evening. Take care. You're thanks welcome. so much. You bet. Right, thanks, Chad. Care. Bye. Bye. Now, food printing technology, I feel like that would be the next, you know, the next probably realm. Probably already exists. To... We just don't know it yet. Well, apparently there's a chocolate printer. Uh, All roads parties. lead back to food. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I thought I found it really funny that, you know, Liz's one question about this was like, can, I, can, we, can we eat? Can we no, no, no. I said it was safe because it was, we were talking about children's toys and, you know, and uh -huh. well, right, let's, just, come on, let's just say, you know. Uh, you know, it's what kids do. They no, but what's well, true? No, that is true, and it 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 does. It is an interesting thing. Like, could you print off utensils or stuff like that? Like, so that it was a good question, but um... well, more so the holders for ut utensils. But yeah, no, it sounds exactly, like the filament but... is dairy free. Thank God, <laughs> that's true. So you could <laughs> actually. <laughs> no, it's man, it's... <laughs> is it paleo? <laughs> 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 Poor Rob. Right back to food. <laughs> Doesn't help that it's dinner time and I'm hungry. Um, the, but not, it, that is so cool. It really I, is. I, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, it, my mind is still sort of blown at how easy it seems to be these days. I, I now realize how little I know about 3D printing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, me wow. too. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't necessarily on my radar. I knew it existed. I knew it happened. But I mean, I was still under the impression that like a 3D printer costs like, you know, $3,000, $4,000. I didn't realize that there were all kinds of different models and they were as low as $250. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and it doesn't sound like it's it's that high of a barrier to actually do some of this stuff and, and to figure out your own parts. And it sounds like there's, there's just huge repositories mm-hmm. of everything under the sun that people have done the work on and thrown up online that you can just download and print it off. So Rick, Rick Chant, our buddy Rick Chant over at uh, Chaos Technical Services should totally get a 3D printer because it would probably come in really handy for him because he could, a lot of times he's stuck with not being able to get parts for things because they're old or whatever, or, or the supply chain uh, issues. And you can just print, print something off. Or just reach out to Neil Squire because it might already be, it might already yeah. exist, right? So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I just had to order a new marshmallow roller tip for one of my canes. Mm-hmm. I just had to pay Jeff Bezos $20 for that. I was, you know what? It's funny you say that because I was thinking exactly that. I was like, what could, what could, you know, be 3D printed relatively easily? And yeah, cane tips was one of the first things I thought of. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you there, I bet you those files are out there. Yeah. You could drill yeah. a little hole, get the hook in there and then attach it to your elastic and away you go. Yeah. Yeah. I should have done like, you know, what STL, I won't say the name of the brand of the cane, even though everyone knows what I'm talking about. But you know, <laughs> Marshmallow hook style. T- yeah. But what's really funny about that or sad about that is, you know, we can now have the option to go to Amazon to get some assistive devices. Um, we don't have to go to the blindness organization to get the tip or get the cane. And, you know, fortunate or unfortunate, that's, we can argue another day, but the availability has become so much more open now that we have a lot more choice. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, give Jeff Bezos a hard time um, because they're killing the small, the small business. But at the same time, there's been a lot of, a lot of benefits to having stuff come directly to you. Some people can't get out to pick up what they want or have mm-hmm. somebody do it for them. So, you know, I'm glad you went to Amazon because you might have had to travel elsewhere to get it or had to wait for it. If you, yeah, if you know exactly what, what it is that you need and then, yeah, there's a, there's a, a lot of, uh, a lot of benefit to mm. it. Um, I can tell you though, I've never paid 20 bucks for a marshmallow roller tip before, but <laughs> what would you have normally paid? Uh, probably closer to, you know, maybe like 10 or 12, but, hmm. huh. uh, you know, I mean, but it is, it is what it is. So yeah. I was thinking that number was reversed. I would have thought you got a, a greater deal on Amazon than through your local. Not chapter. for certain things. Yeah, that's the thing is that certain things. Yeah. I mean, because let's just let's just be honest. It's not like I have twenty options of all these sure. different companies who make these marshmallow tips. Right. There's one, one, and we mm. all know who they are. And you know, I'm like, well, I guess there. How many sellers? Are, well, at, at this time, I'm like, well, I got this. If I want to get it by this time, I that's what I got to pay. Right. Yeah. So. 
So if anyone has a 3D printer and they want to make me some <laughs> marshmallow roller tips. That's right. Go to makersmakingchange.com and print off, grab, download the blueprints. And... Yeah. I'm I'm positive that there, it's probably, probably there. Yeah. yeah. So where's Chad? Chad, yeah. get back on here. We're... I'm telling you. And so like, if there was like there, maybe that's, maybe this is another million dollar idea. We need to start Kinko's for 3D printing and just buy a couple of 3D printers, open up a little storefront and be like, just bring us your thing. We'll print it off for you. Cause really like, honestly, that's all you need. You need to, all you need to go is go online, download the marshmallow tip file, take it into Kinko's, general print it, go home with it. Boom. We're bringing the, we're bringing a, the tip and have them with their fancy scanner, do it for me. If they, right. if there's yeah. no blueprint. Yeah. And you just tell them just the tip, just the damn tip, not the whole cane. Oh, yeah. you guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you said not the whole cane. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's, all right. That's it. It's, I'm, I'm calling this podcast before things. Because here we go. Yeah, exactly. Just so, the tip, please. Hey, Ryan. No, hey, Liz. <laughs> no, it's too late. We've already oh. lost her. Uh, where can people find us? They can find us booga, booga, booga. On, the web, <laughs> on the web at atrancher.com. You know, right? I really I'm don't an understand. Ass, I know. I know, but I just I don't understand. Like this is right around dinner time. I feel like this is when you'd be the crankiest to be like, I need to get out of here. This is the best part go. of my day. So, uh, <laughs> all right. If, uh, where were we? They can also email us if uh, they so desire at uh, cowbell at atbanter.com and they can also find us on facebook and twitter and wherever you listen to your podcast and that includes spotify that's right spotify spotify i love mm. spotify mm. i was talking to somebody about spotify about the whole streaming culture it's kind of mm -hmm. weird when you think about it like don't do you ever miss physical media I still have physical media sitting in bins. Yeah. But like, I don't know, like, you know, CDs, DVDs, VHS, tape, like, I don't know, like the, we just, the, nobody has anything anymore. I kind of like that. It's one less thing I have to dust. <laughs> I mean, yes. is it just me? Didn't everyone's like CD towers yes. that like covered in dust and then you'd pull out a, a, yeah. an old one that you haven't listened to a while and the case is cracked and covering, you know. I think right. eventually... We're going to come back around to physical media at some point. I was reading another article today about the whole streaming industry, the Disney's, the HBO mm -hmm. Max and Netflix and how they're losing money and subscribers year after year after year. And it's just not sustainable. So I think at some point we may end up back with physical media, whatever that looks uh, like. I don't know, but maybe the model has to change in order for these companies to survive. And well, I, I mean, think that's why Netflix is looking at ads, ad, uh, an ad subscription coming or an ad service. Yeah, well, yeah, they have to do something, right? But I mean, I mean, they still do make physical media. I mean, there are yes. like, like whatever the next, it, it's what, 4K now, yeah. these 4K discs. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they still make them and they, they're still selling, but it's yeah. just not, certainly not the industry that it used to be. But no. Uh, yeah, it's I don't know, I'm on the fence backwards. about it. It is mm -hmm. totally hard to go backwards. I mean, it would be, you'd, you'd be a hard sell to sell me on, the idea of going to like a you know a, a record store and you know going to buy a album 
Yeah, you know, you may get better audio, better experience, but it's that convenience factor, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And plus, then, like Liz said, you then you have to store it, you mm-hmm. find places for it. Yeah. Um, and what about young people who have never had to buy physical media? Yeah, they lost out. Nothing better, man. Nothing better than like those used record stores or those used <laughs> DVD stores and stuff. You go and spend hours there looking at to buy cheap, cheap CDs, cheap DVDs. Oh, Napster. It was the days. Oh, Napster. <laughs> uh, anyways, I don't even know where we landed on that. We seem to argue back and forth between it's like, I miss it, but then no, it sucks the dust. And then I don't even know where we don't even know how we feel about that. That's right. All right. Well, I think that's a sign. We need to get out of here. All right. Uh, all right. Well, that is going to about do it for us this week. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening in. Big thanks, of course, to Chad for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. Yes, we will. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Take.